Please remain standing for the reading of the scriptures. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ezra, the seventh chapter, reading verses 1 through 10. And this morning I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's word as it's found in Ezra chapter 7. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahituv, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Mariot, the son of Zehariah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Avishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra. Just in case you might have been thinking about that other Ezra. (laughs) This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem on the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray that you would now sweeten this word in our hearts and in our lives, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, we're almost done with the first month of 2015, believe it or not. Um, Beginning of the year is a time when folks often make resolutions, and if they don't make formal resolutions, they at least have in their mind's eye the kind of things they want to be doing in the new year. I wonder as we are, what, on the 25th day away from New Year's, how many people would say that to date they're really successful in reaching all of those goals and keeping those resolutions that they have made? Some yes, uh, some no. Some completely, some not at all. Uh, Some in between, no doubt. Well, success, it's something that in one way or another we all want, We want to be successful uh, in many ways, at home and at work and financially. Uh, And uh, those are all good things. I want to talk to you this morning, however, about something that lies underneath all of those other forms of success. I want to talk about success in Christian living as kind of the foundation. Certainly what we have to say this morning has implications for every area of our lives. But I want to focus our attention just on that last verse that we read out of Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. And I want to ask about what success in Christian living, uh, 
what it's rooted in. We're really going down to the foundation. Now, I, I, I'm going to be using the word success, successful, and I really have a very simple definition. Success is simply having a goal and reaching it. That's all it is, just having a goal and reaching it. Uh, remember that passage from Isaiah 55 where God says his word does not come down from heaven like rain does not come down from heaven without accomplishing what God intends it to accomplish. See, the, the Hebrew text uses the word success there without succeeding in doing what God intended. Uh, to succeed is simply to have a goal uh, and to reach it. Now, as Christians, we have all kind of what we might call micro goals, small goals along the way. And how do we articulate what the kind of the macro, what is the big goal that all of these other small goals are driving toward? We could probably answer that in a number of ways, but certainly one good way to answer the question, what is the big goal of Christian living toward which we're all striving? It's to hear those words, well done. See, we're working hard and we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Is there anything that you can be doing along the way that will help you in hearing at the end those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Well, Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10 gives us some insight into what we can be doing along the way to hear those words at the end, well done, good and faithful servant. One key. How many? One. Three steps. How many? So the first thing I want to talk about is one key, and then we're going to talk about three steps. So here is the key, which is really why I chose to read from the um, New Living Translation this morning. And that key in one word is determination. If you want to be successful, it's simple, if you want to be successful as a Christian, you've got to be determined to be successful as a Christian. Ezra had determination. Now, the, the Hebrew text says, is... Um, Hakeen Libo. Everybody say Hakeen Libo. You know, if we change the, the word Libo means his heart. It always reminds me of that, uh, not F Troop, but um, Hogan's Heroes. Remember the little Frenchman? What was his name? Libo. And every time I'm reading the Hebrew Bible and I come across the word Libo, it always makes me think of uh, Hogan's Heroes and the little Frenchman. Um, so the, the Hebrew, Hakeem Libo, the NIV, I mean the ESV, the English Standard Version, does a pretty good job of capturing it woodenly. It just means he set his heart. Ezra was successful because he, he set his heart on a few things. Now, that's probably okay in English because in English we say, boy, her heart is really set on. And what do we mean by that when somebody's heart is set on something? They really, really want it. 
Um, although we don't normally say he set his heart on that. We usually use it kind of in a passive, uh, her heart is set on it. But that's the idea of, uh, but it's not, just, it's not just really wanting something as the English might, might in- indicate. I also thought about using the NIV because it translates this, he set his heart on with the word determine. And, um, and that's, that's pretty good. Uh, rather, no, no, the NIV does not use determine. The NIV uses devoted. Any NIV readers out there? U- uses the word devoted. Uh, but better than any of them, I think, is the New Living Translation, which uses the word determined. Ezra determined. Determination. It means to be intent on doing something. It means to be firmly resolved that you're going to do it. Uh, there's a text in 1 Samuel chapter 7 when Samuel said to all of the people, if you're really serious about wanting to return to the Lord, get rid of all the foreign gods and images, determine. See, and the ESV probably says, set your heart. It's, our, it's the same thing in Hebrew. Determine to obey only the Lord. Determination is the act of deciding definitively and firmly. And that's what Ezra had. Ezra, he keenly bow. He set his heart. He had determination. He had a goal and he wasn't going to let anything dissuade him. See, those ten verses that we read after it made sure that we knew uh, that we had the right Ezra in mind and not the other Ezra. By the way, my wife gave me a wonderful, um, a wonderful uh, uh, Christmas present. Uh, you know, uh, Ancestry.com. They've got this thing that is like DNA.com or something. And you send them in some D- a DNA sample. And then a, a month later, they tell you where you came from. And uh, interesting. I am 90% Eastern European. Now, Adele was 50% uh, British. And then a bunch of other stuff. I mean, Scandinavian and Middle Eastern. You know what's interesting also? My grandparents are all immigrants. My father's parents came at the turn of the century from Hungary. My mother's came from Poland. I've looked into my dad's genealogy side... Everybody back there, like my grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, they're all named Istvan. They all come from the same town in Hungary. All the women are either Anna or Marie. They had no creativity with regard to naming. And you know what they never did? They never left town. They, they were born in a town where their grandparents were born, and that they lived there, they died there. So... Since that's my mother's side and my father's side, I'm not surprised. I'm 90% Eastern European. Now, Adele, she, her family goes back to the American Revolution. They've been living in the United States for a long, long time. So they moved. They were not all from the same town. You know, a different cultural experience. So I'm not surprised that she has like 50 different things that make up her DNA, whereas I'm like 90% Eastern European. We had a few that must have come from Germany, from Western Europe, uh, 5% Eastern European Jewish. 
Uh, I, I go to a Jewish dermatologist. I'm going to see him tomorrow, a little bit of surgery on the face. I can finally say, Dr. Moskowitz, you're my long-lost cousin. No wonder I like you so much. And uh, when the joke was when we lived in California, we lived in a town with no Jewish people. Two families. One lived behind us. One lived beside us. Uh, lots of interest. When my brother went into his uh, endodontics practice, um, he was the only Gentile in the practice. All of that just because of 5% in our DNA. <laughs> I- I'm telling you that for a reason. I have no idea why. Can, can somebody help me? Where was I? I know I'm talking about, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This Ezra. See, that list is kind of like a DNA code. You've got to, but after it tells us that we had this Ezra, I'm back on track. Um, it's, just a, it's just saying Ezra wanted to go to Jerusalem. That was his goal. He succeeded in going to Jerusalem. How did he succeed in reaching the goal that he set? One word starts with D. What is it? Determination. Determination. Ezra was determined. He had that determination. Now, where did he get it? Well, ultimately, he got it from the same place that you can get it, and that is from Jesus. See, Jesus had determination. Now, the New Testament is not written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. And so sometimes the language is a little bit different, but you get it the same idea. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 51... It says this, as the time drew near for Jesus to return to heaven, (coughs) Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now that resolutely set out, that's Luke 9.51. In Greek, it woodenly says, he set his face. See, in Hebrew, you set your heart. In Greek, you set your face. But they're saying the exact same thing. See, Jesus, when Jesus came from heaven at Christmas, the first Christmas, he came with a goal in mind. Uh, and the goal can be articulated this way. He came so that you might have life in all of its abundance. That was his goal. Now, he had, he had some micro goals along the way. One of his micro goals was to live a perfect life of righteousness. Because for you to have an abundant life, God's got to be able to look at you and see somebody who's absolutely perfect. And that required Jesus to live a perfect life of righteousness so that his righteousness could be transferred into your spiritual bank account so that when God looks at you this morning, by grace through faith, he sees somebody that is absolutely, perfectly righteous. Now, the fact of the matter is, that's not always the case, right? So Jesus had another micro goal. He not only had to live a life of perfect righteousness, he had to die on the cross to pay the penalty for all those places where we have not kept God's law. Live a life of righteousness in our place so that his righteousness can be transferred to us Die on the cross so that our sins can be transferred to him. Jesus was successful in reaching those goals. How do we know that? It's coming up in a month or two. It's called Easter. God raised Jesus from the dead to vindicate him, to put his stamp of success on him, to say to Jesus in his own way, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've done everything that I have sent you to do. 
See, Jesus had determination. And so through Jesus, as the Bible says, you can do some things. You can do many things. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Jesus' determination is the fountain that you can tap into, from which you can drink, so that you have everything that you need, as Peter says, for life and godliness, or as Ezra would say, to have the determination that you need in order to live successfully so that at the end you hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Does not mean there are not going to be some bumps along the road, right? Does not mean that you won't experience darkness along the way. Uh, How many of us have had brother, sister, child, mother, father pass away? They have heard, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you know them to any degree at all, you know that there were mistakes, there were sins, there was a lot of stuff along the way. But because Jesus lived that life of perfect righteousness and died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sins, because of faith in him by God's grace, they made it to the end and they heard those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Through Christ, you can do all things. You have the the source that you need to tap into to have the determination that you need. How many keys are there to successful Christian living? What is it? It starts with a D. Determination. Uh, Remind me, how many steps do we have to take to get there? Three. And uh, here's the first one. The first step is study the Word. See, it says Ezra was determined to study the Word. I loved elements that were included in the worship service this morning, not through my doing because I, I didn't contribute them, Um, but the reading of Scripture, how is the Word of God made effectual for salvation, Uh, and uh, 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 prayers that that focused on on the Word of God, the first step is study the Word. Now, I'm probably preaching to the choir. This may seem obvious, right? Uh, It just seems obvious that if we're going to be successful at Christian living, we've got to study the Word, Uh, but Obvious and easy aren't always the same, yes or yes. There, there are challenges along the way. How many, people, how many people resolve to read through the Bible in 2015? And, and they're not, they've given up along the way already. Um, uh, if they haven't, the big challenge of Leviticus is just around the corner. You see, it, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to kind of decide you want to do it, but you, you, there, there are challenges. Uh, there are challenges to being in the Word regularly. There's just the, the busyness of life. There are the demands of family. Uh, there's the, the busyness of work. All, all sorts of things impinge on our time to take us away easily from studying the, the Word. It can be a challenge. Anybody here still in high school? We got one high schooler here. Got another high schooler here. Oh, you guys are, you guys, you're the, you too, yeah. I like that. Yeah, when I was in high school, I couldn't do that. Uh, now that I'm a lot older, still can't. 
I remember high school. Um, some of you may not have been very studious in high school. And now I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth. Okay, you two are in high school, plug your ears. You're not hearing this. I don't remember ever doing any homework through all of high school. It's, it, that, I'm just telling you, I don't, rem- I don't remember studying for a single test. I do remember spending a lot of time in the pool hall. See, back then we had these things called open study hall and open lunch, which meant you were allowed to leave the school premises. And so we arranged our schedules routinely to have study hall, lunch, and study hall. I spent half of my high school career in the pool hall. Uh, there's, that, there's that old musical. Uh, how do you, pool, trouble? How do you spell trouble? P-O-O-L? I, don't, I forget the, the show, but what is it? The Music Man. Yeah, I've been there, done that. Uh, I remember taking my first test in college. I thought, wow, this is college. I better study. So I studied for 15 minutes, thinking, man, I'm really going over the top for this one. You can imagine what my grade was on that test. By the way, it happened to be in classical Greek, how I ever got there. I only got into college because my mother worked for the academic dean. I have no doubt. I mean, it was not my grades that got me into college. But, you know, I left that first failure after a wonderful fatherly chat by a professor who decided not to write me off because I failed my first exam, but to encourage me. I left that exam with one thing, and it starts with D. I left with determination. And, I, and I, I don't remember for sure, but the rest of my academic career through college, through seminary, through graduate school, I hardly remember getting another B. I, I was joking with my daughter. I think I told you this at one point. I do remember one C in an Old Testament class in seminary. <laughs> you got to love that. <laughs> determination. See, God used that professor to instill determination in me. And uh, there, there are a lot of challenges along the way. Ezra was successful because he had determined. He didn't just say, oh, I would like to be in the word. He set his heart. He was determined to study the word. In Christ, you have everything that you need to be determined to stay in the Word, both publicly and privately. It is the foundation to hearing in the end, well done, good and faithful servant. But not only studying the Word, that's just the first step. Second step is to live the Word. Because it says Ezra had determined to study and to obey. You have truly learned the word when you live the word. Does the name John Frame ring any bells for anybody? Uh, John Frame is a colleague of mine at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. But before that, we were colleagues at a seminary in San Diego in Southern California for about 11 years. Uh, Significantly before that, John was one of my seminary professors, 
So he taught me, and then we became colleagues, and we've been teaching together for some 25 years, and I've learned a lot from John Frame. Well, you know, we often talk about um, meaning and application, that you got to know what the word means, and then you got to figure out how to apply it. Well, John just says that's kind of wrong-headed. If you don't know how to apply it, you don't really know what it means. Meaning is application. See, you got, if you don't know what to do with it, you don't really understand it. Now, where did John get this idea? Well, I think he got it from the Bible. There was a time in John chapter 7. Text crystallizes in verse 17. People wanted to know where Jesus got his authority from. And you know what he didn't say? He didn't say, well, just go have a Bible study on the book of Isaiah and you'll know where my authority comes from. You know what he said? He said, if you do what I tell you to do, then you'll know where my authority comes from. I remember when I had John as a, as a student. He was my professor. I was his student. And uh, I remember him saying, if you're having trouble in seminary figuring out some theological problem, maybe what you need to do is go out and do some street evangelism. And maybe that'll clear the cobwebs out so that you'll be able to think more clearly. In other words, sometimes we have trouble thinking because we're not doing what we know that we're supposed to be doing. Now, obviously, there's kind of a symbiotic relationship between knowing and doing. But the point is, there are times when we don't really know because we're not doing what we know we're supposed to do. Or take Psalm 119, verse 100. We read from Psalm 119 this morning. We didn't get all the way to verse 100. We stopped at 24. But, but that verse says, I know more than all of my elders because I do what I'm supposed to be doing. Living the word. We don't just study the word for the sake of studying the word. We study the word so that we know what to do. That's sounding like successful Christian living. And you know, if studying takes determination, how much more does putting it into practice take determination? Living the Word. You've got to be determined not only to study it, you've got to have that determination to do what it says in your families, in your work, in your recreation, in your worship, in every area of life, determined that by God's grace, you're going to put that word into practice. What's step one? Starts with S, study. Study the word. What's step two? Live the word. Step three, teach the word. See, Ezra was determined to study it and to live it and then to teach it. And uh, now Ezra was kind of like a professional teacher of the word. Um, We're not just talking about teaching from the pulpit. 
Uh, or teaching a Sunday school class, or teaching a Bible study class. Uh, we're talking about teaching the Word, not only in formal settings, which some of us do, but in informal settings as well. It's kind of like, you know, the book of Deuteronomy that I'll mention again. We've talked about it, that we're to love God, and that we're, gonna, we're to have His Word on our hearts, and then we're to teach these things to our children when we walk and when we sit and when we get up and when we sit, just kind of, you know, like in the, in the warp and woof in the fabric of life, informal situations. You know, back when, I, when we were young parents, there was always a big controversy about with regard to parenting. Maybe, I don't know, I'm not, I don't read this stuff anymore. Now that I'm a grandparent, I can just have fun and then give them back. Um, you know, but the quality time, quantity time kind of thing. The fact of the matter is some of the quality moments come just because you've had a quantity of time because you can't always predict when those quality moments are going to show up. And the more time you spend, the more opportunity you have to have those quality moments just in the, in the flow of life, in the normal activities of life where you're able to instruct, to teach, to share what you have learned. Because you've studied and you've put it into practice, you can then pass it on to others. Not only to our children, but to our parents. Uh, I just wrote an online note to one of my students. She asked me a question on one of the discussion forums. And I said, teachers learn when students ask. She was able to teach me something that I hadn't ever thought about before. And I've been teaching this material for years. So students can teach teachers, and we can teach friends and colleagues and family members, not only in the formal ways, but in the informal ways as well. Now, there is a reason for the order, study, live, and teach, because you can't really fully teach what, what you don't know. Um, you know, they, they say those who can do and those who can't teach... Well, if you can't, you can't teach either. Uh, The really good teachers are the ones who can do. I just, uh, you know, some of you know my father was a cabinet maker and my wife two birthdays ago bought me a lathe. And I'm just really enjoying getting back into woodworking. And I, I made an oak shelf for my office. And you know why I can make an oak shelf? It's because my dad taught me. But the only reason my dad taught me was because my dad could make an oak shelf. And I could walk alongside him and learn along the way. And see, that, that's the normal order. The normal order is that we study and we do and then we can teach. But as Professor Frame has also taught me, it's not always either or. Sometimes it's both and. You do not have to have been a drug addict to help somebody along the way get out of addiction to drugs. There are plenty of people who are successful in helping people with all sorts of addictions that have never had those addictions. Now, if you have had them, it can give you another depth in your ministry to people. 
Isn't that what Paul says, that when we have suffered, we learn things along the way that make us better able to encourage those who are suffering because we've walked a mile in their shoes. I don't know if in the, I don't know if in the uh, transition you've had any student preachers, but student preachers can be wonderful. And, but often it's been my experience in listening to student preachers that uh, everything they say is right, and yet you come away thinking, I think they just told me all the stuff they read in a book. You have this sense that it's not really coming from the gut. And there's only one way to get around that. They just got to live longer, right? They've got to go through more experiences so that it's coming not just out of what they've read, but what they know in life. And that's kind of a, just a, it's not an absolute algebraic rule, but it's just generally true that there's an order that we study first and then we learn to put it into practice in our own lives and then we're able to pass it on to others. And that's what Ezra experienced. Uh, Start now. You don't have to wait. For example, if you want to read the Bible through in a year and it's January 25, that's okay. Just get the Bible and Start now with whatever the date is and pick up from there and go on and catch Genesis uh, next year. It's not either or. uh, It's both and. We're all at uh, different points on a continuum. Some of you know some stuff that you're not doing. And ironically, some of you are doing some stuff in spite of the fact that you don't know what it is. You're just kind of doing it intuitively along the way. You know to a degree and you live to a degree and you can teach to a degree. We're all on a journey. And by God's grace, that journey is a spiral that's taking us upward The more you study, the more you can live, and the more you can live, the more you can pass it on, and the more you pass it on, the more you learn, and the more you learn, the more you can live, and the more you can live, the more you can pass it on. By God's grace, we get into this, but you got to start, and it starts with what D word? Starts with determination. Determination to study the word, determination to live the word. Uh, determination then to, to share with others what you've been learning so that you can not only make it to the end yourself and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, but you can be an instrument in God's hands to help other people uh, get to the end and hear those same words themselves. See, hearing those words depends on your determination. But, and this would be another whole sermon, which trust me, I'm not going to preach right now. It also depends totally on God's grace because verse 9 comes before verse 10. Verse 10 tells us that Ezra was successful because he determined to study, to live, and to teach. But verse 9 tells us that Ezra was successful because the good hand of God was on him, which is Ezra's way of talking about the grace of God. You see, so which is it? Are you going to be successful because of God's grace or are you going to be successful because of your determination? Both. It's it's not an either or, as Professor Frame would tell us. It's a both and. Uh, But there is a priority here. 
Because the source of determination is certainly the grace of God. And so as you trust in Christ, and as you rely on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you you can experience that determination to study, to live, and to teach. May God give us all grace that we might grow in that determination to study, to live, and to teach, that we might all uh, reach the end and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, who has sanctified us by your word, and we trust that you will sweeten this word in our hearts and in our lives. We pray that the grace that we need to be determined to study the word would come through the preaching of this word. You've told us that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word, and so As we have heard this word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would increase our faith, that we might rely more upon your grace, that we might experience more of the determination that we need to study well, to live well, to teach well, to hear those words at the end, well done. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.